Good morning. I am so excited to be able to share with you the next part of our series, Stories Jesus Told. For the last seven weeks, Scott and Preston have done such a great job um, sharing with the words of Jesus and how that they apply to our lives today and all of the things that Jesus was saying. Uh, they are masterful communicators. And so I feel really privileged to be able to jump in and kind of put my take on what it is the story we're going to share about today. Um, as soon as Scott asked me to be a part of this series, I immediately knew the story that I wanted to talk about. And I hope that you will open your minds today and that you will allow some of the things that I'm going to share with you to really impact you when you walk out the door. That's always what our goal is, is that we would share something on this stage that would live beyond walking out those doors, and I'm trusting that that's going to happen today. So a parable, the actual definition of what a parable is. You know, I've taken lots of notes that they have shared, and as I began to for, prepare for today, I really wanted to dive in to what a parable really was at the time that Jesus was sharing a parable. And so by very definition, it is a simple story that is used to explain either a moral or a spiritual lesson. Now, we in the world of church, we attribute parables to Jesus. But the truth is, is that parables were used by many people to explain moral and spiritual lessons at the time of Jesus. And so I think it's really important to understand that Jesus didn't begin, parables didn't begin with him, but he certainly is the one that made parables famous. If you go back to your high school English class and you think about parts of speech, and then you talk about figures of speech, such as a metaphor, a simile, those things that you learned about in high school English or literature, you can categorize parable as one of those words. And what a parable was, was taking very big concepts and bringing them down to something that the audience that Jesus was sharing with that they could understand. It was something that it made it easier, again, to take it out the door. And so the parable didn't begin with Jesus, but he certainly made it famous. Now, going, we're not going to do an entire lesson in Greek, but I think it's important that you understand really where this word came from. Because if you understand how a parable came to be, I think it takes all of these New Testament stories to a different level for you. It's not just coming in the building and just hearing about these cool things that Pastor Scott and Pastor Preston shared during the summer of 2022. When you understand that a parable was a work of fiction or a work of literature or a work of speech that Jesus specifically chose to communicate with his audience. It just makes the whole thing more cool. For me, it does. And I think it'll be the same for you. So Greek, the para, it's called parabole. That's the way it's pronounced. Para meaning, or bole, meaning alongside or throwing, and then para meaning alongside. So bole, the second part of that word, it's like throwing something up in the air. And then para 
alongside. So whatever a parable is, it is a short story that has been thrown against a big story so that it can make better sense. Okay, are you tracking with me? Okay, all right. And so again, think back to high school English. And we all learned about the fables. Anybody heard of Aesop's fable? The boy who cried wolf. You may have heard about that. Or the tortoise and the hare, those words. Okay, those are fables. Well, those were all started during those same times. But the difference between a fable and a parable was that a fable taught moral spiritual lessons with animals being as a part of it, using those as lessons. But the parables, again, think back to Jesus. The parables were about people. Jesus was in the people business. He knew his audience. He knew exactly what it was that he wanted to communicate every single time there was purpose. And the purpose was so those people would find a life of peace outside of the religious dogma of the Pharisaical teachers, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. When I was in um, kids ministry, I taught a song and one of the songs was so funny and I never forgot it, is that you can't trust a Pharisee because they're not fair, you see. And you can't trust a Sadducee because they're not, they're always sad, you see. And I never forgot this kid's song, but it helped me remember that the Pharisees and the Sadducees weren't about the story of Jesus. They were about image. They were about how they were going to be able to further their careers. Have you ever seen somebody like that? Everything is a curated image and you don't know whether or not to trust them or not. And then when you add intellect to that, they can just get you all turned around in a circle. But Jesus came to make his message incredibly simple. Okay, so as we move on through, we throw those big concepts, we throw those big stories, and Jesus created it to help his listeners be able to process all of the big parts of the Bible. Now, I shared with you that this word parabole is Greek. The New Testament, so if you're holding your Bible, everything from Matthew to the right, all of those books, the original language was Greek. If you're holding your Bible and you look at Matthew backwards to the left, the original language was Hebrew. And so you think, okay, what does all this mean? Why does it matter? I thought the Bible was one book. Why is it in two different languages? The Bible is one work. But what we have to remember is the Bible was written by many different people, and it is a book comprised of many different personalities. And so as we begin to talk about this today in this particular parable, I am hoping that that and understanding the person behind it is going to help you make, make sense of all of that language. Okay, now if you have your Bibles with you, with you, you can turn to Luke chapter 8. Again, this is the New Testament. Over to the right, Matthew, Mark, Luke, you're going to see that. And this is the story, the parable that I'm going to be sharing with you today. Luke chapter 8, beginning with verses 9. His disciples asked, why did you tell this story? He said, 
You have been given insight into God's kingdom. You know how it works. There are others who need stories. But even with stories, some of them aren't going to get it. Their eyes are open, but they don't see a thing. Their ears are open, but they don't hear a thing. And so it wasn't just the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders that Jesus was creating stories for. His own best friends, his own chosen 12. I mean, these were the people who bought into the vision of Jesus. They had dropped their lives and they were following him. I mean, they were dedicated. But Jesus looked at them and said, you've been given insight and you know how it works. But they still ask the question, why are you telling these stories? And he says, there are some that just need stories, which means they cannot handle the big picture. So they need a parable. They need a small, a short story that is thrown alongside so it will help them comprehend and understand my words. Now, he, I feel like with this, he's also saying their eyes are open, but they don't see a thing. Their ears are open that they don't hear a thing. Is that you can be a person who has great vision, but you miss what is right in front of you. We can be a people that hears every syllable, but we miss the method. We miss the message that is behind all that Jesus is trying to say to us. And why is that? Why is it so difficult for us in you know, 2022 to be able to see and be able to hear and be able to follow the things of Jesus? It is because our minds and our hearts are so bogged down with heaviness with all that is happening to us, all that is happening around us, all that we are own, in our own selves we've propagated, the pain that we have created for ourselves. Sometimes we create the biggest disappointment by setting unrealistic expectations for those around us rather than just accepting and seeing a person where they are and listening to what they're really saying. Jesus, I believe, is saying all of that to them, is that understand that there will be people who, although they hear and although they, they have those skill sets, they will never get on board your vision. They will never understand your words. They will never get behind you. And it is essential that you understand that right from the beginning going into it. But this is the thing at the end, even when you cannot see and even when you cannot hear, and even when when you want to see and even when you want to hear, you have to absorb this fact because this is a law, a law of growth, a law of being a human, a law of learning and developing your best self is that we grow spiritually, mentally, physically, relationally only to the degree that we want to see and hear. The only way that growth is going to happen in you is when you sit and you watch and you listen to someone who is already where you want to go or someone who has done what you want to do and they are knocking it out of the park. It's learning to ask questions. It's learning to honor and humble yourself in saying, I don't have it all figured out. I don't understand. This has happened so differently than I prepared for it to be. My life looks nothing like I planned for it to look.
and sitting back and realizing that, you know what? But I start today. I don't look at the past because the past has already happened. I can't go back and redo it. If I look too much in the future, it's going to scare me to the point that I stay stuck. But learning and watching someone or a group of people or an organization that you believe is where you want to be and you understand that you might not be there yet, but every day your feet are going to hit the floor saying, I'm awake, I'm alive, I'm going to grow. I'm going to grow spiritually, I'm going to grow mentally, I'm going to grow physically, I'm going to grow emotionally, I'm going to grow relationally, and I don't have it all figured out, but there are people that God has placed around me to hold my arms up when I cannot move. And I think that's what Jesus was trying to communicate to his best friends. Sometimes it's going to be hard. You're not going to understand why people do what they do, why they say what they say. But if you choose to see and you watch, and he, I, I really believe he was talking about him because he was training them. And you choose to really listen to what I say in those paraboles. I am going to give you the skills that you need to live a strong life. Now, you know, to talk about the Pharisees, you know, Pharisees get a bad rap in the Bible. I mean, let's just say it. I mean, they get a bad rap. Well, they were some bad dudes, you know, and I say dudes because they, they were all guys. They were all men. And they get a bad rap because they were, the whole goal of their um, existence I re they grew up, uh, you know, learning the Torah, learning the words of the Bible. They grew up in what we would call in our world seminary, but going to good Judaism school, Judaism school, they learned all what everything meant. And they were brilliant. They were intellectual. Um, their IQs probably were off the wazoo. And the Old Testament, as I shared with you, everything before Matthew, written in the Hebrew, it was the roadmap by which the people in the New Testament lived. That's the roadmap by which they made decisions. It's the roadmap. It was their instructional book. But here's the thing about the Pharisees. They couldn't just leave it for what it is. I mean, the Old Testament was full of cause and effect. And the law, you were only successful in the law through obedience. And so if you disobeyed, it led to some bad effects. You could be killed, you could be wounded. You could be imprisoned. I mean, it was a lot of tough stuff. And it wasn't because there was this big angry God sitting up in the Old Testament Bible um, feel, full of ego, wanting to just like shoot down fire on all of the people. It was the time and it was the rule of order and the rule of law that was set in place. And so they were trying to obey, obey it. But what they did that made the people of the New Testament so overwhelmed and almost incapable of finding peace was that they continually added checklist to the law. It wasn't just don't do this or do that. It was before that comes, you might need to check off this, 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 and this. And that's the only way that you're going to be pleasing in the sight of God. So they added checklists to every law. So what we knew as the Ten Commandments from the book of Exodus now had hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of commandments. And 
You know, you can imagine the people were like robots. They'd walk this way, nope, got it wrong. They'd walk this way, nope, did that wrong. This way, oh, you said that wrong. Oh, nope, you, you wore the wrong thing. You said the wrong thing. But this is the thing about parables and why Jesus chose parables, I think, rather than fables. It's because he was in the people business. His story, his words were about Jesus. He knew Jesus was, a, it was about peace. His stories were about the individual sitting in front of him. He knew that there were women that were listening to him that had been used as sex slaves. He knew that there were fathers that had been betrayed by their sons who had squandered their hard-earned money and had broken their hearts by embarrassing them and destroying their futures. Jesus knew that there was also the older son that was so frustrated with their father that they pointed, he pointed his finger at him and said, why haven't you done this for me? That he was so full of jealousy. Can you imagine the heartbreak of that father? Jesus knew that these were the people that were in his stories and that he was talking to and that he was sharing with and it mattered. He said, I have come to give you peace in all of these parables. The Pharisees lost their minds because it wasn't about peace for them. It was about following the rules. And from the first parable they heard, I believe they set out on a focus to destroy and kill him, which they eventually did. Now, let's go to Luke chapter five. And this really is the parable I'm talking about. I wanted to lay that foundation because um, I'm such a teacher. But this is the one that I'm really talking about, the parable. So we're going to talk about, uh, you can um, kind of a short answer for this message as far as uh, a way. What did Lana talk about today? She talked about jeans and she talked about juice. And so you can say jeans and juice. All right. Luke chapter 5, verse 36. Jesus told them, these sayings, no one uses a new piece of cloth to patch old clothes. The patch would shrink and make the hole even bigger. No one pours new wine into old wineskins. The new wine would swell and burst the old skins. Then the wine would be lost and the skins would be ruined. New wine must be poured into new wineskins. No one wants new wine after drinking old wine. They say... The old wine is better. Now, I'm certainly not a wine aficionado by any stretch, but I've done a lot of research about wine in preparation for this message so that I would understand how to explain what it is we're talking about. Wine skins were used in the ancient times and they were used to hold some liquid. They were used to hold wine. They were used to hold water. Typically, those were the only th two things that they were drinking. They didn't have any Mountain Dew or Pepsi. So those were the things that they were drinking, either wine or they were drinking water. Now, when wine was first poured into a wineskin, it essentially was grape juice, just like we give our kids now. It's just juice. But throughout the fermentation process, as the juice became wine, there was a process of oxidation with carbon dioxide where the fermentation would be create all of these gases that would expand. As they began to expand, the wineskins would expand. It was essential that juice 
the new wine was placed in a brand new wineskin so that it could stretch and it could expand as the changes began to happen in that juice. Because if you had put a new wine and then it began to experience changes and it began to grow and it began to essentially become alive and you put it into old wineskins, it would burst. And Jesus says at that moment, both would be lost, both the precious liquid and I would say the precious wineskin. Because if you think of leather and how much leather cost and how expensive that leather is, it is a precious substance. And to just watch it destroyed all because someone made a mistake and put the new into the old, every word Jesus said made sense. Every word had some sense of understanding for his audience. He was saying essentially, do not mix the old with the new because when you mix it together, it causes everything to be lost. And you know, when this passage was written, the passages before in Luke chapter five, Jesus is talking about um, fasting. When fasting, going without food, either for spiritual allegiance or a spiritual discipline. And the disciples were, his, his 12, they, they weren't fasting because they were at a wedding. And so the Pharisees were like, why aren't your disciples fasting? This is the day we're supposed to fast. And so the Pharisees would fast on Mondays, on two, sometimes Thursdays. We don't know the day of the week. All they knew is that the guys with Jesus were having a good time at the party. And they wanted to know, okay, this is a fasting day. Why aren't they fasting? Why are they eating? And Jesus, you know, then launches in to uh, this talk about the fact that he's doing things differently. He's going to fulfill a new way of doing things. And then he shares a story. And the Pharisees could not wrap their mind around the fact that there would be a different way of fasting. And Jesus was simply saying, consider. A lot of times I think that's what he's saying to us. When we are so focused on our religious dogma and that things must look this way and that things must sound this way and that people need to dress this way and they need to use this words and they need to use this language and they need to sing this song, that he's not coming in, my personal opinion, trying to destroy all the things you hold sacred. Sometimes he's just saying, consider. Consider a different way. And then I am going to show you how to make that way happen. Why is he saying consider? Because he was all about people. And we have to use just like, if we were to use a different language to communicate with someone, we might have to change our methodology in order to explain and ex what's happening. So this is a really primitive picture, but it kind of gives you an idea of old uh, versus new. That was the actual wineskin, typically made from um, goat or camel. And as it was, again, used, the one on the left became very pliable. It became very stretched because many, Many, many times it had had wine, new wine that was poured in and it, um, as it fermented through, it became stretched and pliable. 
And so that's what happened with the new. You could put new fresh juice in it and it would stretch and grow with it. You know, when we resist change in our own lives, when we resist all of the things that are going to happen around us, it's almost like that our, our body, our minds are those wineskins. And when new stuff is poured in, but we refuse to change with the way um, maybe things are moving and the structure or, or just whatever things are happening that's causing us to think a different way and do a different thing, then that way we are just like that old wineskin. This new fresh life comes inside and we just implode because we don't know what to do with it. And Jesus is trying to paint a picture, a story that it is okay to embrace the new. He goes back, the first part of that passage when he's talking about cloth. You know, you don't sew a piece of old cloth, a new cloth on old on an old garment because it destroys it all. Think about your a favorite pair. Anybody got a pair of favorite jeans? You know, jean, people love to wear jeans. You know, in the educational setting, if you say, as far as teachers, um, administrators, you tell your teachers that on Friday they're going to get to wear jeans, they're going to lose their minds. They're so excited. I mean, they pay money to wear jeans, you know, like fundraisers and stuff like that. It's always wild to me just how people lose their minds when they can wear jeans. It's because they're comfortable. They're soft. And the longer you wear a pair of jeans, it molds to you. It feels like it's, these jeans were built for you, but it's not that way when you first put them on. They're stiff, they're rough. They actually, I would say, are probably some of the most uncomfortable pants you have when you first put them on. And so what you need to think about is that if you have a nice, beautiful, shiny um, patch that you are putting on a pair of jeans that has, this, let's say, this big hole in the knee. And I'm not talking about the fashion holes, because, you know, fashion holes are all the rage. You know, to spend 50 pairs with a pair of jeans, that's really not a pair of jeans. You know, it's just fashion. But I'm talking about the jeans that are your favorite jeans, and you don't want to lose them. And so you're like, I have got to patch these jeans. If you were to put a new patch on your old jeans, you probably aren't going to wear them anymore because it's going to be a different color. It's going to feel differently. It probably is going to cause you to throw them out and start over again. And so why am I saying all of this about the jeans and the juice? Jesus knew his audience. He knew that these were seamstresses and that these were people who understood wine and they understood how all of these things were were going to happen. And it made a difference. Every single word made a difference in what he was saying. In essence, Jesus is trying to say, and skillfully saying, mixing the old, which was the religion of the Pharisees, all of these checklists, all of these ways that they had added to the existing commandments. So mixing that with the new, which was you really just need to listen to what I'm saying and know that there is a life of peace that is waiting for you. The only thing you have to do is accept. It was very difficult for them to understand, but he is saying that it doesn't make a better believer. It doesn't make a stronger follower of Christ. It does not make for a stronger, more healthy person. It only creates a person who is burdened and are carrying around all of those weights. 
you know, kids are getting ready to uh, start back to school. You know, they have all of these tons of books, especially high school students, tons of books. You know, sometimes I would try to pick them up. I mean, I have like 40 pounds in that book bag. And I often, very concrete way of thinking is as I was preparing for this message, I was like, each of those rules that the Pharisees created is like one of those textbooks. Somebody thinks they've finished and they just throw another one on. They think they're done with that book and I've accomplished and I'm satisfied and they just throw another one on. They just subtract one thing and add two things back. For a lot of you, that's the way it feels in your life. That might be your story of church. That might be your story and your understanding of Jesus. That might be your thoughts when it comes to how you're supposed to satisfy what all these church people talk about. And what I want to share with you today is a very simple concept that Jesus didn't create stories and parables so that you would feel more burdened. He created stories and parables and communications so that you would feel more confident. The Pharisees, again, were religiously brilliant, but they were compassionately ignorant. They did not understand the method by which Jesus communicated. He explained new life of freedom so that you, he says, my burden is light, which is an oxymoron. A burden isn't light because it's no burden at all. He's like, I've come to wipe away all of the things that these other folks are saying. And that's the reason that they were so enraged by his words. He wanted people to understand that peace in your life doesn't happen because of checking off the list. Peace comes when we accept and we rest in the fact that Jesus has already done it. What has he done? The New Testament is full of story after story where he says, I lay down my life for you. I surrender my life so that you can have life. And in your mind, you're like, well, why does a sacrifice need to be made? Again, you think about the Old Testament. The Old Testament was full of animal sacrifices where folks had to, in order to be forgiven for their sins, they'd drag all these animals and they'd have to kill them. And there was a whole process and I won't go into all of that mess, but it was a very holy and sacred process in order to obtain forgiveness from their creator. Jesus says, all you have to do is just ask that I have come so that you don't have to go through all of that dirty business again. And the problem is with the Pharisees, why it was so hard for them is they had grown up all from childhood now into their adult life, had grown up believing that there was only one way. And this holy sacred way was the way. And Jesus was blowing that up on a daily basis parable after parable, story after story. He's saying stuff like, everybody's welcome. He's saying things like, the least are first. And the first are the least. He's saying, let's go have parties with prostitutes. Let's go have holy sacred suppers and invite people that are not holy or sacred. Jesus is creating an entirely new way of processing scripture. 
Now, if you were a person that had been marginalized and rejected because you were all of that, can you imagine the peace that you were beginning to feel? Can you imagine this burdens that they're dropping off day after day after day and you are finding life and they fell more in love with Jesus every day and his following became larger and larger and larger every single day because his words were literal life. And this is the thing that I think he was trying to communicate. The old way said, do this, do that, do this, do that, but the new way, he just said, be this. Just be, just sit quietly, just listen to my words. You don't have to do anything but breathe. Breathe. You throw away those lists. You throw away all those things that you thought you had to accomplish in order to stand in my presence because I am for you all. I am for you all. Jesus eradicated this thought of I need to become in order to stand in his presence. He erected the thought, all you need to do is come into my presence, which was life for his audience. One of the things that's been very difficult for me to understand is that when I know new is better, I know it's better. Why do I always run back to the old? Because many times I've been guilty of that. I've wanted to hold on to the old traditions. I've wanted to hold on to the old things that I've felt were really important. And here's the thing you need to understand. Traditions are very important. Old is to be respected and honored. Old doesn't need to be looked at in a derogatory manner. You know, I think about um, all the traditions of our family. I mean, my kids, we love Christmas. We love the holidays. At my home in Beulahville, I mean, my dad blows up fireworks. I mean, people come from all over just to see his fireworks at Christmas, you know? And a lot of people think about that and they're like, that is really odd. I thought fireworks might be for 4th of July, but Christmas Eve, but it's a tradition. And he has held on to that. My dad's 79 years old. And I would think we'll probably still be blowing up fireworks when I'm 79 because it is a tradition. It is something we hold sacred. I love Williamsburg. I love going there. And I love all the things that are there. I like the fact that it is about history. But to tell you the truth, what I love about Williamsburg most is aromas. It's a coffee shop. <laughs> it's a coffee shop stuck right in the middle. And if you have been a part of my life for any time at all, I probably have drug you to that conference. I mean, I've drug you to that coffee shop. I say the word conference because there was one time we were going to a kids ministry conference in Richmond, and it was supposed to start at 10 a.m. And so we knew about how long it's going to take to get to Richmond. I had everybody show up at the church at 5 a.m. so that we could drive to Williamsburg and have coffee at Aromas. But, and, and you know they did it. <laughs> the people came and just so that they could be a part of that tradition in my life. So I'm not saying that old is bad. I'm just saying that new might be better for the time that you're living in. You know, one of the reasons why we run back to the old is because it's familiar. It's something that we understand and growth is very new. Sometimes being the best person that we can be is um, 
I mean, that, that actually sounds like an after-school special when I say it. Be the best you can be. No, sometimes understanding that we're going to grow and become better requires change. New always requires change. And sometimes we are so fearful over how that, the unknown. I think fear is something that causes us to be paralyzed. And it's very difficult for us to understand why we need to do something different. Because we're afraid. We're afraid that we um, might be laughed at, that we might be criticized, that people aren't going to understand what I'm saying or why this is important. You know what? That's exactly right. Change is inevitable, but growth is intentional. Things are going to change. There's no way that they're not because that is just the evolution of life. When you pour apple juice and you pour grape juice into a container and you put the top on it, it's going to produce carbon dioxide and it's going to ferment. It is going to change. You cannot stop it. But you can make a choice whether or not you're going to put it in a vessel that's going to absorb that change and grow with it or you're going to put it in a vessel that's hard and rigid and immovable, and it's going to be destroyed. I don't want that precious life to be you, and you miss what God has for you because you resist change. You know, the change that we've all experienced, you know, in the last three years, a change that we didn't embrace, a change that we didn't welcome, a change that we are still fighting is the COVID pandemic. You know, I think about, and I've been very honest about how difficult it was for me to comprehend that church, again, I'm very concrete in the way that I think, that there would even be a church left after being closed down for so long. It's affected everything. We do life differently post-pandemic. We will never be able to go back to pre-pandemic ways. The pandemic that began in 2022, and we're still fighting COVID now, will forever be a part of our history. It will be in history books that our children's children will read about. And so for us to resist the change that came as a result of the pandemic would only cause us to struggle and we would not be able to accomplish the things that we would be able to accomplish. These are some of the areas that have changed. Our culture is different. We're not nearly as open to visiting one another at each other's homes. We don't do nearly as many meals out together. We have isolated into silos in a lot of ways. Think about your own family. And it's been as a result of protecting you, been as a result of protecting your children, but it's different. Our relationships are different. Families are different. The divorce rate went sky high during the pandemic because these people that were stuck at home realized that they didn't really like each other all of that much. And they were forced to live in the same home day after day. But marriages that were strong, they got stronger because people were able to realize that it made a big difference in who they were to spend time together. And a lot of people remembered why they fell in love and why they got married. Employers were able to see some of the folks that were incredible, astounding employees because they had to be self-directed. They couldn't micromanage them. And so a lot of people were able to be promoted and even go in brand new places with their work. But then there were some people, they lost their jobs because they couldn't do anything without being told. And so in businesses that weren't ready for change, those business, a lot of them lost and they refused to make differences. And so change was forced upon us as a result of the pandemic. And we had to make changes. We do church differently. 
Everything that we do has been affected. You know, our volunteers, we've worked so hard to find volunteers. A lot of people just did not want to come back and volunteer. I just, a side note is that if you come to church here for any time at all, I just want to say we need you as a volunteer. I'll tell you what to do and where our kids, you know, because our volunteer numbers are not as large, but our church numbers are incredibly uh, coming back, astounding every week. I'm amazed people are here. It's amazing. And new families. I was sharing with our First Impressions team that in the month of July alone, we've had 20 new families. That's a lot of people. And so in order for us to serve those new families, we need volunteers that are welcome and ready to say, come be a part of this place because I like it and I want you to like it. Let's all do this together. But technology has changed, and we as a pastoral team, we have had to change. You know, one of the foundations for Scott and I when we came here 20 years ago is we wanted to create an environment where people would be able to see and hear whatever it was that they needed to see and they needed to hear, whatever it was that would be better for them. And so we've continually tried to do that. One of the most successful things we've done at Forest Park is our door conference. Our very first one was in 2013. So we did it for seven years. We've done a door, uh, 2013, 14, 16, all of those. This conference actually came, I was uh, with a group of folks that we had, were going to a, a conference, a women's conference in Virginia. And it was a great wave church. It was wonderful. I was like, this is great. You know, and they were like, uh, we need to do this at Forest Park. And I was like, oh, no, why? This church is 75 minutes away at the most. And this is awesome. You know, why would we reinvent the wheel? And this is what one of those girls said to me. There are ladies that don't have enough confidence, confidence to come into a church like this. Seats 5,000. And she said, but I think they would go to our church. That's all it took because I'm in a people business. And even though I didn't want to do it, I was like, well, you know what? Let's give it a whirl. And we have had amazing success. Over those years, I went back as I was going through all of my numbers. We have had 1,852 women that have paid to come to the Adore Conference in those seven years. It's been amazingly successful. And not just, oh, thank you. And not just for women, but for their spouses, their partners, and their children. Because there were things that happened in those rooms. Ladies dealt with things that they had never dealt with before. They answered questions about themselves that they had never taken the time to look at. And as a result, it allowed for healthier families and healthier children. From the moment we closed a door last year in 2022, when I was standing on this stage and I said goodbye, I knew we were going to do something different. And you think to yourself, why do something different that has been so successful? In my mind, I felt that change. It just began to feel different to me. And I began to say, the world has changed. Things are different. So we've got to do something different. And so I started thinking about what are the things that um, I'm anticipating, that I'm changing. That One of the things that's always been very difficult for me about the Adore Conference is that I want there to be conferences that we can all be together. You know, I'd be listening to a speaker thinking, 
wow, this is so amazing for everybody, but I've just got a room full of ladies. I'd like to have men in this room. I'd like to have students in this room. I'd like to have believers in this room. I'd like to have non-believers in this room. I'd like to have atheists in this room. I would like to have people who don't even speak English in this room, and then it forces me to figure out a way to make it relevant. I knew that we needed to change. So I began to talk about um, different things with my husband who was like, whoa, you know, because every time that happens, he's like, whoa, you know, that what we're gonna do, I was like, let's do an entirely new conference. So we're doing an entirely new conference and it's going to be called Hope, Hope Conference. And it's a conference for people. It is a conference not for married people. It's a conference for people. It's a conference not for singles. It's a conference not for women. It's a conference not for men. It's a conference not for believers. It's a conference not for non-believers. It is a conference for people created by people to challenge us in our mental, in our emotional, our spiritual, all of those relational issues. You know, we've already started talking with some speakers. It's going to be next spring. April 28th, 29th, and 30th. We're going to bring it on Sunday morning as well. But this is all I want you to know is that I want to let go of the old. I want to let go of the things that I held so closely. A door is incredibly special. And for those of you who are thinking, I really love that, and I can't believe you're messing with it, I want you to understand that we're going to have breakouts for women, we're going to have breakouts for men, we're going to have breakouts for students, so that you can still feel that intimacy, but that we're going to do something new. We're going to have new wine, and we're going to wear new jeans. Now, I am a rule follower. I love holding on to things that work. But sometimes we just have to embrace the new. I've asked our team to sing a song that has beautiful words, a beautiful message. And if change is really hard for you, I see you. I am there with you. Sometimes it is all I can do to stand on this stage because things have changed so much. So hard. Change is hard. I see it. I feel it. But when we open our minds and we open our hearts to the new that Jesus is just holding, waiting for you to accept it, it is there. And as they sing this song, make it your prayer. You might say, I can't pray that. You say, what she's doing, Jesus, that's me. And as she sings, you just close your eyes and you just absorb the new. And I'll come back in just a second, close this out.
Jesus is not do more. The way of Jesus is be more. Let that song be a beautiful prayer today. We love you and I hope to see you next week. Have a great day. Bye.